Welcome to Profit First Nation, the official podcast for entrepreneurs who are operating their businesses in the zone of permanent profitability. I'm Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, and now here's your Profit First Nation guide, Daniel Mulvey. Welcome to Profit First Nation, the podcast for the top 17% of entrepreneurs with cash in the bank to correlate to their profitability. Profit First Nation is the podcast for intelligent entrepreneurs who have taken ownership of their financials and leveraged Profit First as a cash management system to make their businesses permanently profitable. I am Danielle Mulvey, an expert at guiding entrepreneurs on owning their financials in as little as 11 minutes per day and doing Profit First right. If you are a fan of Profit First and its author, Mike Michalowicz, you have found your tribe. We are a nation of successful entrepreneurs driven to be permanently profitable with a grit and a growth mindset that lets no obstacles stand in our way in pursuit of the three Ps, passion, profit, and play. On Profit First Nation, we dive into advanced Profit First strategies, and we share the honest and authentic ups and downs of being a business owner. And on episodes ending in five, like today's episode 105, we are very privileged to have with us Billy Ann Grigg, the Chief Profit Guide for Profit First Professionals. So welcome back, Billy Ann. Always happy to be here, Danielle. And uh, with Billy Ann, we really kind of get into some some serious advanced profit first strategies and questions. And so let's start with uh, this question that came into the podcast from Jason. Hello, not sure if this may have been on a prior episode, but I was wondering about making payments on credit cards and how that works on the 10th and 25th. We take advantage of rewards with Amazon and cashback deals with our bank, but we don't rely on credit cards by any means. That said, when we go to make our payments, how should we approach this? Should we tally up the expenses from the prior allocation, for example, the 25th of March to April 10th, and pay all those expenses off? Or should we pay whatever the total balance is at that moment, sort of like paying the entire balance at the end of the statement period? Thanks. All right. So that's a great question. Um, There's a lot of misconception about credit cards with the Profit First system. Um, Some people think that, you know, they're just a a huge no-no. Credit cards are a tool, right? And they have to be used safely like any tool. I mean, I wouldn't go out and run my husband's bandsaw or anything like that because I don't know how. Um, So it's all about knowing how to manage these credit cards in a way that will serve you and not get you in trouble. It's also really easy to overthink it. I have seen business owners who every single time they use their credit card will go and make the transfer from their OPEX account and pay pay that amount on their credit card. Um, That doesn't really work either. I mean, it's just an added step. It creates friction and it's not sustainable. So um, whenever I have advised a client who is using a credit card responsibly, Uh, It's whatever the total balance is whenever your allocation day hits, be that the 10th and the 25th, or if you're on a weekly allocation or whatever. I do recommend paying the full balance at that moment. Um, Don't wait until the statement comes in because that is when you can get into trouble, having too much money in that OPEX account because you're forgetting that it's all going onto the credit card instead. Excellent. And one thing that we do as well is we have a budget for what goes on the credit card as well. So we're knowing how much we need to allocate to our credit card every allocation time as well, because we keep our 
expenses in a spreadsheet. Um, so that's something too, you wanna keep it sort of consistent too. And maybe you have two different cards that you're using or two different accounts so you can track those separately in terms of the expenses that you're putting that are recurring expenses. And then you have another one for the expenses that are sort of one-off expenses, annual um, fees, et cetera. That's smart. And I would say that one thing to keep in mind these credit card companies are great about offering you credit line increases, especially if you pay consistently uh, month after month. Um, don't take them. I mean, there's nothing saying that you have to take that credit limit increase because there will come a point where you have a lot of credit and the temptation could come too great. So only keep as much credit open as you actually need um, instead of just taking those credit line increases over and over again. And then for, I, I just wanted to, like, maybe we can kind of go into something else. I'm sorry, this was not on the list of questions. But, uh, you know, if you have other people in your organization who need to make um, purchases, et cetera, so for some of my employees who need to, you know, be able to take a client out to, out to dinner or something like that, um, we actually leverage debit cards for them, and mm -hmm. they're given a budget that they can use on a monthly basis to do nice things for clients, whether it's sending them something or taking them out for lunch or dinner or breakfast. So we allocate to those debit cards a particular amount, and then they work from that. So um, that also helps contain some spending and, and people not having to come to me every time. They already have a budget for the period that they know that they can leverage and spend. Yeah, that's a great idea. Okay, our next question. I have my tax bucket set up at 15% per profit first guidance. My tax pro says I need an additional 15% to cover the self-employment tax. Should my tax bucket be 30% instead? If not, where does this come from? Okay, this is a good question. It's one that we actually get quite a bit. And um, assuming, of course, that this is someone in the United States and that they follow the basic parameters of profit first, they don't have anything really crazy going on in their business, this actually indicates that the tax pro doesn't understand how profit first works. 30% of the bottom line on the P&L is 100% what they should be saving for taxes. But profit first goes off of real revenue. So you're taking your top line minus any materials and subs to get to your real revenue. And that's why the percentage is 15% as opposed to 30%. So my suggestion is to have a, a little bit more in-depth conversation with your tax pro or even better work with a tax pro that's also a profit first professional and just make sure that they understand what it is that you're trying to accomplish and where that uh, tax percentage is coming from, that it's not coming from the bottom line, it's coming from income coming into the business. That's excellent. And, you know, just another sort of advertisement for working with a certified profit-first professional, especially if you're really trying to dial in that, that tax number and such, because 15% actually could be kind of high depending upon if you pay yourself payroll and things like that. Um, and so to really dial in those target allocation percentages and actually the current allocation percentage where, where you need to be as you're working towards your target allocation percentages is best and most expertly done with the uh, facilitation and advice of a certified profit-first professional. So if you would like to work with a certified profit-first professional, 
then please go to ProfitFirstNation.com and click on contact where you can connect with one of our certified Profit First professional accountants, bookkeepers, and coaches. All right. So our next question is, um, my umbrella S-Corp is set up. My DBAs are in process, and I'm almost ready to set up my checking accounts. I talked to my CPA a little bit about Profit First. She's not familiar, and I am not quite sure she gets it. She looked it up, and her immediate takeaway was that it was strict saving and ultimately frugality. Yes, but that's not the point of it, LOL. Anyway, she told me that I could set up one QuickBooks account for my S-Corp and then have the DBA accounts in it under classes. Are you familiar with that feature? If so, is that how you would recommend I do that? If this is a viable solution, that would be awesome. I cannot afford QuickBooks accounts for all three entities. Well, I probably could afford it, but it would eat a nice chunk of my profit. I don't want to have three accounts with QuickBooks, especially since I have the QuickBooks Plus and payroll plans for the S-Corp. Okay, so this is more of a bookkeeping, how to use QuickBooks question as opposed to a profit first question. Um, I am assuming just because of the way the question is worded that these DBAs do not have separate EINs or tax ID numbers, that everything is being operated under the S-Corp, which is one EIN. If that is the case, then yes, you can use one QuickBooks file for all the DBAs. But you have to be careful using those classes because if you don't assign a class to a transaction, and by a transaction, I mean every single line in a transaction, because in QuickBooks, the classes work by line on a transaction as opposed to the transaction as a whole. So that means you're going to have to go in and assign a class to every single line item on every single transaction. Otherwise, you end up with this nice little kind of uncategorized class category on your profit and loss statement that can really mess things up. Um, from a tax preparer standpoint, 100%, I would want everything on one QuickBooks file because it's going to make it a lot easier for me to file that tax return. From a bookkeeping data entry standpoint, you're just going to have to be very careful. Now, from a profit first standpoint, I would still say you need the entire suite of profit first accounts, those five accounts for every DBA, because you want each one of those DBAs to operate as their own profit center. And from a profit first perspective, that means that you're going to have three income accounts and three profit accounts, tax, et cetera, et cetera. So you're actually going to end up with 15 accounts in total with your three DBAs. Nothing wrong with that. It's just more that you have to manage in QuickBooks. But, you know, I also think, though, too, <laughs> um, that that can also maybe help you a little bit as well with keeping track of where the money goes. And it kind of ties back to which account in the classes based off of which profit first account from a banking account perspective. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I would say, you know, totally 100 percent skip on your QuickBooks subscription costs, but don't skimp on your bank accounts, your profit first bank accounts. Go ahead and have them all. Yep. Exactly. Awesome. Uh, and you know what? We do get a lot of uh, QuickBooks questions and such. And so, Billyanna, a lot of questions come in about, because now QuickBooks offers so many different options and such. And right. uh, what would you recommend for someone that is starting out and that is going to have, you know, less than $100,000 in, um, in real revenue in year one? Number one, I'd stay away from QuickBooks self-employed. 
Uh, it's just, it's not a double entry accounting system. It's more of a categorization system. I, I'm not a huge fan of it. They have created or are working to create a way to upgrade QuickBooks Self-Employed. I would start with a minimum at QuickBooks Simple Start. I'm not even a, a huge fan of Simple Start just because the reporting capability is limited. But if we're talking a small business under 100,000, not very complex at all, um, Simple Start is probably going to be good enough to get you going. And you can upgrade easily from Simple Start to Essentials to Plus. And then if you get to that point, to the QuickBooks Online Advanced. But I would start, you know, definitely Simple Start at a minimum um, or Essentials if you can afford Essentials. Okay, great. And, you know, I mean, I would recommend kind of pushing yourself a little bit more on Essentials just because it's better to start there and and figure it out, guys. You can figure it out. Go through the reverse engineer exercise in episode 24 so that you can figure out exactly what you need to do to hit your sales goals so that you can also afford QuickBooks Essentials. Yeah. Yeah. There's not that much of a difference between simple start and essentials price-wise. And I think it's worth the additional investment to get those good reporting features. I mean, it's probably one more client sale or three Mm -hmm. more client sales that would allow you to afford that upgrade over the course of a year. So make it happen. Challenge yourself to make those additional sales. Uh, Okay. We have another question. Um, My question for you may be a dumb question. No, there's no dumb questions, (laughs) but worth a shot. When implementing Profit First, is there a limit on how big the company gets before Profit First becomes too hard? Or can you be putting millions in profit through each year and still keep the system going? I love this question. There is a, a thought out there that there comes a point where Profit First doesn't really, it's not that it doesn't work for the business, but that the business isn't going to go through the, um, through the hassle, if you will, of having the multiple bank accounts. And that's just not true. I think the bigger and more complex your business is, the more you need profit first, and actually the more accounts that you need as well. I mean, I'm working with a business that's heading to $10 million in revenue this year, and we are creating more accounts for them because the OPEX plate is now too big. So we have to subdivide that OPEX plate a little bit more. Can you do it on spreadsheets if you have a large company? You can. You're going to lose some of the dynamics of profit first. And really, um, the business owners that I've worked with that have larger companies feel more relief if they have more accounts that they are managing because they can just see at a glance what they have for payroll and what they have for their charitable giving and what they have for marketing and just all of those different nuances that can in a large company lead to hundreds of thousands of dollars in uh, transactions over the course of a year. And I can speak from firsthand experience. Uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I have multiple businesses simultaneously going on. And we implemented Profit First in one business that was a seven-figure business in 2017. And we implemented Profit First in another business that was an eight-figure business in 2017. And we are in Q2 2022. And uh, the eight-figure business has more than tripled in revenue. We're doing over $50 million a year in that business. And yes, to Billy Ann's point, over the last five years, we have added the number of accounts that we use so that we get some greater clarity, especially in terms of our OPEX. 
but I would not change anything for the world. And to me, it's it's just the same as when we started in 27 implementing Profit First, yet we've more than tripled our revenue in the last five years. So of course, I'm like the poster child for, for Profit First as the host of Profit First Nation. And it is good for any size business. And in fact, I've had a couple of startups that I've also added to my portfolio over the last five years as well. And they are all on Profit First. So I can be a walking live testament that it works for any size business from a startup to eight-figure businesses. Right. And also think about the clarity and the peace of mind this is going to give your controller in your business. I mean, assuming that if you have a multi-million dollar business, you're probably not paying the bills yourself. You have a controller the controller doesn't like looking at spreadsheets any more than you do as the business. And okay, maybe a little bit more than you do, but they don't love looking at spreadsheets and trying to figure out where they are in the budget and everything like that. But if they can just look at their bank accounts and see what's available, it makes their job a lot easier. That's an excellent point. And I have to tell you, you know, us implementing a sales tax account um, that we sweep sales tax into before we sweep the margin into our income account has just also been a great peace of mind to have that money that is not ours and never will be ours just immediately swept aside. And I don't think I would have leveraged that tactic had it not been for profit first and having the clarity of of having different accounts and different buckets to allocate money to based off of the specific intention for that those dollars. So because our tax bills, sales tax, um, are, are large liabilities. <laughs> Okay, um, let's see. Another question from a podcast listener. I have a client that had to take out $22,500 from profits to cover materials. They're a screen printing business. If finding lower priced material suppliers is not an option, is the move simply to increase prices for all services by the percent that they were off? For materials, do we need to increase the percent allocation towards materials or both? Yeah, this is a both and um, situation. So typically, if you can't directly tie what your materials cost is going to be to the income, and you can't always do that. You know, for example, let's say that you have a retail business. Um, You know, on average, what your cost of goods are, but you can't look at every single sale and say, it's not feasible to look at every single sale and say, okay, well, this is this amount, and I'm going to move this into my materials and subs account. So we're taking a look back at what the average materials and subcontractors cost has been. This is a screen screen printing business, so it's a little bit different. Um, so this indicates a couple of things. Number one, sounds like supply costs have gone up. So your allocation to your materials and subs account should also go up. And also your prices need to go up as well. Prices are going up everywhere right now. Nobody's going to be surprised by it, you know, assuming this is a a fairly recent question. Um, so it's one of those both and situations where, well, both and three ways, try to find a lower price material supplier. Um, increase the prices to offset the increased cost of your materials and then adjust, do a look back. And you might want to do a shorter look back than 12 months on this one if the cost has been um, a pretty recent increase and adjust what your percentage going to your materials account is. Yeah. And remember, Profit First is not a set it and forget it system. It is a dynamic system and you should be looking at it at the minimum on a quarterly basis to make sure that you do have your allocation percentages dialed in right 
And that if you're working towards your target allocation percentages, you're adjusting those allocation percentages as your current allocation percentages at the start of each quarter as you work quarter over quarter to hit your target allocation percentages. But you also need to be very cognizant of what's your net income looking like? Is it going down and and sales are going up, but the net income is going down? Well, that's because your cost of goods has increased um, and, and other factors or expenses are at play. And so you need to make sure that you are proactively um, or quickly reactively offsetting those increases in materials and costs by increasing your pricing. So it's so important. I mean, I think Starbucks has um, increased their prices three times over the last six months. I mean, all of the big players are increasing their prices. And without a doubt, you should do the same. Yeah. And and to just kind of expand on that a little bit, it's a little off topic, but I think you made a really important point there. The big players are increasing their prices and they're increasing them multiple times. Smaller businesses a lot of times will hesitate to increase prices more than maybe once a year or once every six months. But these bigger players that have these analysts looking at things are reacting quicker. And it's because they know if they don't, they're not going to survive and their profits are going to plummet as a result. You should be thinking like those bigger business owners in that same way. If your costs go up, don't wait three months or six months to raise your prices to offset it. Go ahead and do it now. All right. We have one more question in the queue. And that question is regarding keeping extra cash in the OpEx account. If we build up an extra, say, two months of cash in the OpEx account, then doesn't that take away from the small plate theory of Parkinson's law? I'm torn over whether to leave a buffer or should we advise to move that to the vault? Yeah, I don't love buffers in the OpEx account. It's about (laughs) the only account that I don't love having a buffer in. I love to see it in the owner's comp account and the tax account. You know, love to see that profit account grow. OpEx, though, I want to keep that one skinny. So I would move that extra cash into the vault, maybe even call it something different other than vault, because vault implies that it's locked away. It's more for kind of your rainy day or an investment in the business or something like that. Um, Maybe name it something else like OpEx overflow or something like that, but get it out of the regular OpEx account. Otherwise, you're going to be tempted to just spend it. And, you know, I think it's great that you do have set aside two months, three months of operating expenses or, you know, whatever that comfort level is for you to have that that money set aside. So if something happened like COVID or someone got hit by a bus or just things stopped suddenly, you can still operate your business. But I would also say that at some point, you know, whether you get to six months or one year of operating expenses stashed aside that you know, you really need to be looking at the percent that you're allocating to operating expenses because it sounds like it's too high, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I I mean, six months is about the max that I would want to keep um, stashed away, you know, maybe a year. And it depends on your business and your business cycle and how risky it is. But um, to your point, you don't want just an extra amount of cash sitting around in your OPEX account or your OPEX overflow or whatever you call it. Um, That money can be used in different ways for your business. So take a look at that. All right. Great. Well, thank you for another loaded episode of your Profit First Mastery, Brilliance, and Guidance, Billy Ann. If you would like to work with a Profit First professional and a certified, of course, Profit First professional, then please go to ProfitFirstNation.com and click on contact where you can connect with one of our fellow Profit First professional accountants, bookkeepers, or coaches 
And like with all of our episodes, we do have a visual recap that will give you a a download of all of the answers and recommendations and best practices that we discussed on this episode. And you can find that by going to ProfitFirstNation.com and clicking on resources. Make sure you also opt in to have those resources either emailed or texted to you with each new episode drop. Cheers to another profitable day, my entrepreneurial friends. Profit First Nation website, related podcasts, and resources are provided for general information purposes only and do not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Visitors should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional.